chapter 7, verses 5 through 16. Let us pray and then read 2 Corinthians 7, verses 5 through 16. Father, we come today, um, the joy of the resurrection in our hearts, I pray. Father, I pray that we understand that the tomb is empty, the penalty is paid, and that, Father, through that we have peace with you. But, Father, we also have your peace with us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what has been given that cannot have a price, and I'm not even sure an understanding on it. And Father, as we look at this section of Scripture, the Apostle Paul dealing with a church that had hurt him, and yet, Father, the relationship to your glory and praise has been rectified. Father, we who are here today, may we understand the power of the resurrection, that it is that that healed the relationships of men and God, but also, Lord, the relationship between man and man. Help us to your glory and praise. Amen. Beginning in verse 5. For even when we came into Macedonia and our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within. But God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you, as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, and your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter caused you sorrow, though only for a little while. I now rejoice." Not that you were made sorrowful, but you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you've been made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. What vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong. And everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in this manner. So, although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the offender, offender, nor for the sake of the one offended. But that your earnestness on our behalf might be made known to you in sight of God. For this reason, we have been comforted. And besides our comfort, we rejoiced even much more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I was not put to shame. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, so also our boasting before Titus proved to be the truth. His affection abounds all the more toward you as he remembers the obedience of you all and how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice that in everything I have confidence in you. We exist in a time of fallenness. 
And because of that fallenness, we have trials and tribulations in some of our relationships. Um, sometimes within the body of Christ. Sometimes it's with our family, immediate family. Sometimes it can be distant family. But we will have them. They will come. And what happens and what you and I need to pay attention to when we're dealing with these kinds of things is that there is healing in it. You know, I, I was listening this morning at the sunrise service and, and I, I, I thought about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how that resurrection is what healed the relationship. And yet each and every one of us have times that we put a blister on it. That we break fellowship with Christ. We, it's not that you're losing your salvation. It's that, that communion that we speak of is hindered. It's hindered. And I look at this church in Corinth. The Apostle Paul had been there for two years. I guess you could say he was the founder of the church. He is the one who went into the area with the gospel. And his teaching had birthed the church. A great church. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that you were lacking nothing in spiritual gifts. So, I mean, it was a solid church. It wasn't, you know, just some fly-by-night thing. And yet... What happens is, and it happens regularly, uh, is there are times that we think we've arrived. We think we've got it figured out. We know how to do this. All right. And um, what had happened is the Apostle Paul had been gone. He had been over in Ephesus. And because he was over in Ephesus, some false teachers had come in behind him. And they started throwing doubts on the Apostle Paul and his teachings. And they were basically bringing accusations against him. And the church was starting to believe it. And we always look and say, well, how can that be? That's the Apostle Paul. You guys don't even exist if he don't show up. But the truth of the matter is, we all fall into it. It is easy. I have been in church long enough to know that people come into church. They're all excited about what they think you're doing. And then they will start making allies. So that if I don't like something that you say, I'll start the second Baptist church. Okay. I've decided that I'm going to call ours the last Baptist church. They're telling me you're not allowed to use Baptist in your name anymore because that stunts church growth. And I was like, that in the gates of hell, right? <laughs> Let me guess. Um, so I've decided that we will just be the last Baptist church because nobody else wants to be a Baptist church. There, got that solved. I want you to think about something for a second, though. The Apostle Paul later in this letter, in chapter 12, verse 15, makes a statement that is really... Really amazing to me. Now, understand that this church had hurt him. Remember what he said in verses 5 and 6. You know, I had afflictions in the inside. I had afflictions on the outside. Uh, I was hurt. I was depressed. And God comforted us. It took divine intervention to do that. Um, he comforted us by the coming of Titus. Okay, so he had written this severe letter. He had confronted their sin and what they were doing. And he says, I will 
most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. That's powerful. I shared with you last week, John 13 says, if they reject you, then they reject me who sent you. All right. Hebrews tells us that you need to submit to those who are in authority so that they don't have to do their jobs with a lack of joy and in grief. And if the pastor, the shepherd is in grief, it is not profitable to you. All right. Go look at the church today. Tell me that's being experienced. You know, I think about pastors and their longevities in the pulpits and the average lifespan, lifespan, the average time at the pulpit is five years. And you're like, five years? Well, I guess I missed that one, didn't I? I I don't understand that, but I do understand that when you watch people as a pastor, okay, and I, I, I see this a lot. Are the people as devoted as the pastor is? And in some cases, yes. I mean, there's some guys out there that, you know, I'm only here for this stepping stone and and I'm moving on. And the congregation will respond that way. But if I look at someone who is supposed to be in charge of your souls, they should have some type of a devotion. You would think. I mean, it's not... Do you understand that your eternal destiny is more important than your physical health? And yet people will be more concerned about our doctor than we are our shepherd. We'll be more devoted to our doctors, our financial planners, than we are those guys who are seeing to the care of my soul. Apostle Paul was struggling with that. He said, I was devoted to you to the point that I would expend myself. I would give my life for all of you. Paul understood his purpose. He understood the nature of what he was doing. He understood that he represented Christ. He understood that he was an under shepherd of Christ. And you know what? The Corinthians didn't get that. They hadn't gotten it until they got the severe letter. And you know what? Today, many don't. I've had to write a handful of severe letters in my days. Okay. And most of the time, they just get mad and leave. Okay. They don't understand. Ever ask yourself, well, maybe they're bringing out a point. If you've ever been confronted about your sin, what's your normal response? Don't act like you're... Holier now, I know what your response is. How could dare you judge me? And ain't that what you do? Well, did you ever think that maybe they have seen something that you're ignoring? Perhaps. Because we all like to think, well, we're kind of doing pretty good here. Really? I'll ask you a simple question. What are you devoted to? Because you can tell what a person's doing by what they are devoted to. My ball team lost yesterday. I had to turn it off at halftime. It was just horrible. 
You guys, these guys couldn't have thrown a basketball in the ocean. I never seen anything like it. And I sat there and I was watching it. And about at halftime, I said, "You're down by twenty. You got to be kidding me!" So I turned it off. And went back to reading. Okay, and I thought, you know what? I have a, a stepbrother who uh, is on the alumni committee, and he's got a box seat. He lives in Louisville, Kentucky. Okay, but he has box seats to the shoe in Columbus, Ohio. And he goes up whenever they're playing at home in football. He drives up there, and that's his weekend thing. He goes up on Friday night and spends Friday night in a hotel and then uh, watches the, the football game and then takes off and goes back to Louisville. He's hardcore. He's hardcore. But that's it. That's what he is devoted to. And, I mean, he, he's got four seats. His two boys are grown. And, and his wife doesn't like football. So if, if he doesn't get anybody to go with him, he'll go by himself. You know, if his boys ain't doing something, maybe one of them will go or whatever and go to the game. And, and, I, and I look at that and I think, you know, I like a good game, a, a sporting event. But the truth of the matter is, um, no, I'm not, I'm not that devoted to it. Um, and, you know, when your basketball team's down by 20, <laughs> I'm... Definitely not devoted to it, <laughs> okay? <laughs> but I, these are the kinds of things that I think about, and it, it's easy to see what we are devoted to. Paul was devoted to the church. He says, my daily concerns for the church. And you know what? When you think about it, at the time of him writing that letter, the Gentiles were being reached by who? Paul. Okay, And by reaching to Paul, they were trying to, you know, that's where you and I came to salvation. One of them that we're looking at on how do I get comfort in sorrow? Because these guys broke his heart. This hurt. How do I get comfort in sorrow? Okay, well, we've already looked at these i'll just review it quickly the coming of titus the coming of titus did you ever think about that that the presence of a christian can bring you joy that's amazing i was sharing with uh, i don't know if it was somebody here or i don't know where it was but if the times that i have taught in russia you go to church on sunday in russia they show up at 7 o'clock in the morning and they don't leave until 10 o'clock at night. They're there all day. Okay? And, then, and the first time I went was early March and you had to walk through like trenches of snow. And I don't know what the temperature was and I'm thankful. But I remember looking in out of the little apartment thing I was staying in. I look across in the fellowship hall. It's packed. With people, it's still dark. Um, it's far enough north; it's like Alaska. It's actually farther north than uh, Anchorage, so sun doesn't really show up till about ten o'clock in the morning, and then it usually is gone by about three o'clock in the afternoon. Okay, and it's cold. The, the snow's not melting. Okay. So it's chilly. And I look outside and you see probably 400, 500 people. 
And you know what was amazing to me? No cars. They all walked. They all walked. And they spend the whole day. Sunday school, they usually have three messages in the morning. Then they all have lunch together. They, everybody brings food and they cook. And, and they eat all day. And, they, and then, then you watch it. They, the choir might practice. The, everybody plays instruments. I mean, Everybody. The only person who couldn't play the piano was me. Okay? And I mean, guitars, you name it, they're all the thing. And I asked them about it, and they said, well, here's the reason. We didn't, under socialism, we didn't have access to music. If you wanted music, you'd better learn to play something. We didn't have radios. We didn't have televisions. We didn't have the distractions. So everybody knows how to play musical instruments. But they spend it all day together. And I was talking to the pastor about it. And I said, Valeri, how in the heck do you keep all these people like us? He says, they know what the alternative is. And I said, what? And he said, they would rather be around Christians than the lost. And this is a day to set aside for that. And that's what that they are devoted. Why? Their presence makes the others happy. That's amazing. We don't understand that in this country. Corinthians were struggling with it. Whatever is involved, and, and, and I look at this and I, and, I, and I think, is that the presence of these people and th- of Titus coming, and then his report that they had a longing and a mourning and a zeal for the Apostle Paul, that encouraged him. He rejoiced. But he also seen a change. This is that confrontation. You confront the sin and it ignites Sorrow. That sorrow says, I have offended a brother in Christ. I have offended a sister in Christ, which brings you to repentance. So you change. You change. And then we looked at the holiness. That was last week. The holiness, why? You see the earnestness in godly sorrow. An eagerness. And there is a vindication. Let me make it right. Let me clear me. Why? There's an indignation. I, it, it angers me. It angers me that I fell for it. See, when you fall into, dis, into sin, okay, or you willfully step into it, do you understand what's going on? You're being deceived. Okay, and I don't know about you, I hate being deceived. All right. I mean, that just makes me mad. But that's what sin does. You will turn and worship the sin instead of he who redeemed you from it. Which brings you to fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of salvation, which brings back that longing because it'll have a zeal for what is right. And you'll want the consequences of avenging the wrong. So that's holiness. That's what true repentance looks like. People ask me, well, you know what? They, they got busted, you know, got caught with their hand in the cookie jar. Uh, you know, how do I know for sure that they've changed? That right there. Seven things. You just watch for it. And you know what? You can see it in an eagerness. It's like I've seen people who have come to salvation. And it's sort of like, boom. And they have an eagerness. They they don't want to be in the world. They want to be in the Bible. Want to know more about the Bible. They feel like they they've wasted this much time, and I want to pick up on it here. Which brings me to the one that I want to deal with today, verse twelve. 
Verse 12. So although I wrote you, it was not for the sake of the offender, nor for the sake of the one offended, but that your earnestness on our behalf might be made known to you in the sight of God. Okay. I call this growth. Growth. Uh, spirituality, whatever you want to call it. Um, listen, someone who has in a relationship that has been broken, then you can know this for sure, especially if it's in the church. If there's a relationship in the church that is broken, you know that somebody has walked in sin. Okay, you can just know that. All right. And usually they are the ones who are speaking critically. Because worldly sorrow is into self-preservation. It couldn't have been me. They're just being judgmental. No, that ain't the way it works. They had been following error. And see, nobody gets up in the morning and say, Hey, today I shall follow error. Well, if you do, stay away from me. But <laughs> normally you don't do that. I ain't going to do, I don't want to be following error. Why? It's deceptive. It will lead me to a place that I don't need to be and it will never be satisfying. What happens when you follow that error? It will cause division, strife, schisms. Go look at 1 Corinthians, first six chapters. What is he dealing with? Schisms among you. What does that mean? Somebody's following error. Somebody's sin has taken such a hold that it is deceiving the rest. And now there's no unity. Some would call this carnal behavior. Um, it's a fleshly behavior. You will hear it say, well, it was backsliding. Let me tell you what I call it. Selfishness on steroids. Because that's the root of it. It's about me. I think my sin will make me feel better. And I really don't care about you. Check it out. See if I'm wrong. Yeah, everybody, let's go out and sin. He just told us to go sin, see if it was making me selfish. But that's what it is. When the sorrow is real, then you will change. You will realize that you are the dog back at your own vomit. And at some point you say, I'm tired of my vomit. And you go, oh yeah, right on, got it. That is where it comes from. That's where real repentance comes from. It's not from the flesh. It's from spiritual growth. You grow. Okay. This verse 12 is written in what they call a Hebrew syntax. Okay. And the reason that they call it that is because if you read the text, the purpose of verse 12 is to know your own earnestness. Okay. That's how it's designed. All right. But he states what it isn't to bring it to the point of what is your earnestness. Does that make sense? And the severe letter was not for the one who had caused the offense. And it was not for the one who was offended. It was not to get even. 
the severe letter was written that it might make known to you, to you and to the sight of the Lord. What? Your earnestness, your eagerness is written for your sake, church. You know, it's funny, you read through these letters and, and you know, we've got them and we, we canonize them in the Bible and here we go to all the rest of it. But when this was delivered, it's delivered and the pastor would read it to the congregation. It's similar to when I get a prayer request for what we're doing in Russia or somewhere like that. I share with you, here's what we are looking at. That's what these would have been. So he would have got there with the severe letter from Titus and says, we have a letter for the church. Yay. From Paul. Hallelujah. Oh, gee. (laughs) Okay. I think Paul's mad at us. (laughs) Yeah, I think he is. But he would have read it before the congregation. And he says, I'm not worried about the one who did the offense. I'm not worried about me who was offended. I'm worried that you will see your eagerness, your earnestness. That's why he wrote the letter. He was concerned for this. Why? He had a foundation with the Corinthians. And he was concerned at what they were buying into. His concern was for the church. Paul's greatest concern was their eagerness, their inner earnestness on their behalf. Do you not know what your eagerness is? It's just like I made a statement to you a minute ago. What are you devoted to? Okay, now if I've got to explain it to you, you've got a problem. All right, and that's what Paul had to do with the severe letter. What are you devoted to? Okay, your eagerness was for me. Your loyalty was to me. Your love was to me. And I want you to be made confident in it. I want it so that all can see it. Even God. All right. What are you eager for? What was your earnestness in? And he has to say, you were a church lacking nothing. What happened? There are schisms. Some of you say you are of Paul. Some of you say you are of Apollos. Some of you say you are of Cephas. And of course, you great big spiritual giants say you're of Christ. And yet you have these relationship problems in the body of Christ. And you're not confronting them. You're allowing spiritual gifts are being counterfeited. And you think it's great. A man has his father's wife. And you think it's liberty. You're getting drunk at your love fest. You guys have a problem. You've allowed your carnality, you've allowed your selfishness to take over. Which opens you for what? Deception. You're just going to be deceived. So the false teacher comes rolling in. He'll peddle something that lays right alongside scripture. Sounds like scripture. He dressed like a preacher. I think he's a preacher. What do you think? He's a nice guy. And that's what we do. 
Paul here is saying, you know what? You know me. I spent two years with you going from house to house. You know my spiritual positions. You know what is my priority. You met with me. You followed me. You lived your life with me. You heard me. You saw me. You know what I'm like. You know my spiritual nature. You know that I was there and you grew. You know the depth of my passion for the person of Christ. This is the heart. This is the core of who Paul is. This is the core of who Paul is in Christ. You know that, Corinthians. That's why I want your earnestness on our behalf to be seen. The letter was to bring you to see your real attitude toward me, Paul. Now you think about that for a second. That's got to be heartbreaking. It's, it, it reminds me of Luke's gospel when they brought Jesus out of Caiaphas and was taking him across uh, the, the courtyard. And Peter denied the third time Christ at the cock crow. And it says Jesus made eye contact with him. Remember, this is the same Peter who said, you know what? Though all would forsake you, I will never forsake you. And then to deny him the third time and look and make eye contact with him. Paul's doing the same thing with the Corinthians. He said, you know what? I had a surprise visit. Accusations were brought against me and no one in the church defended me. You guys got a problem. Your earnestness toward Paul and it would be known first and foremost to you. Do you not remember this? Do you not know how you really feel towards me? The Corinthians had been deceived. And they had been deceived to the degree that had a view of Paul that wasn't what they really knew. They'd been with Paul. They'd lived with Paul. They'd worked with Paul. They'd seen his passion for the cross. They knew what he was doing. He wrote the letter to remove the carnality, remove the sin, get to the spiritual growth part, get to the core, get to the center. You know what? Get to the reality. See, I can look at this group right here. Okay. In this room right here, there are some of you who have been with me since I've been a preacher. Okay. Some of you are relatively new to me. Okay, you don't know my idiosyncrasies. Okay? Then some of you are different places in that part. You know, I I bust on my kids all the time and everybody keeps saying, Well, does he like his kids? When they're gone. Why? I've you know, you guys have young kids. You think it's fun right now. I got news for you. They always told me that, well, a woman has birthing labor. And I said, yeah, and the father has to carry it the rest of their lives. <laughs> the father gets the bills. But uh, but I, I should, because everybody said, well, I don't think he likes his kids. Really? You got to be kidding me. But anyway, but if you don't know what my sense of humor is, then you, hey, he just don't like children. 
<laughs> just mine. <laughs> I like everybody else's because I can give them back to their parents. Uh, <laughs> but it's, so, but people get they get. Well, what does that mean? I don't understand that. Okay, but some of you have known me for a long time. Okay, you know what my passion is. All right. And when you're in that position, you know what? Somebody can come up and say, well, you know, I think it's like that. People got mad at me when I was dropping that bill off for the liquor store that put change the light fixtures in it. And they said, well, look, the preacher's coming out of a liquor store. Now, you know what's amazing about that? Why didn't you ask me about it? All you have to do is ask me about it. What would you do to come out of the liquor store? But, you know, I, I was doing is changing the life fixture. But they never said it. But they tried to grab allies. Yeah, I see him come out of the liquor store. And you know what people says? Well, he probably had a reason for being in it. Okay? But see, that's the kind of stuff that you watch. And that's what Paul is dealing with here. There are those in this room right now have an eagerness towards me because they've been with me for a long time. Okay, some have an eagerness because, well, you know, he at least teaches the Bible. He is a little quirky with his sense of humor. All right. And, And things like that's fine. All right. But. What I want you to do is say, do you really know who I am? And if not, do you understand whose responsibility that is? It ain't mine. Everybody in church today thinks it's the pastor's responsibility to get to know everybody's birthday, anniversary, this, that, and the other. And that's my responsibility. Well, let me ask you a question. Is it easier for all of you to get to know one person or is it easier for me to get to know all of you? And if you want, I'll bring biblical truth to bear on it. Okay, because it's your responsibility to appreciate those who have authority over you in the word. First Thessalonians. And and I'm not here. That's not what I'm here about. What I want you to understand is, do you have a devotion to the word of God and the messenger of God sent by God? And if you do, is there an eagerness in it that all can see it, even God? That's what the Apostle Paul said. That, brothers and sisters, is growth. That is spiritual growth. I listen to people try to tell me how to grow the church and ain't nobody hit this one. I I can grow the church. Beer, big screen TV and hot dogs. How many people? We'll pack it. I can block traffic. But you're not growing anything. You're just attracting a crowd. Growth is there's an eagerness there. And do you know that attitude and do you live it and do you remember it? Because once you have it, then understand at different times you're going to get people going to come up, chirp in your ear and say, well, you know, I saw them down there. I had a family leave the church years ago because I was driving down Perry Street and I didn't wave at them. I, if I'd have known. I'd have pulled up on the sidewalk and blowed a horn. Hi. You feeling eager? (laughs) Paul's trying to get the Corinthians to say, you know your spiritual heart. You know your spiritual growth. 
you know it is about me and you've been deceived. Now, let's be realistic. Somebody come up to you and say, you know what? I think you've been deceived. Uh, you're going to say, what? How dare you say I've been deceived? But let me tell you something. Deception is layered. It comes to cover. And it starts off by, let me cover reality. You know truth. Let me cover it. Let me cover it. You know what you really feel in your heart. What is your heart, your heart attitude? See, they had, the Corinthians had a love for Paul. An amazing love for Paul. And then all of a sudden you get a false accuser stands up into his face and nobody defends him. They had a trust for Paul. They had a confidence for Paul. They understood his spiritual condition and the things that were his priorities. They knew it. They'd seen it. It wasn't just a said thing. They knew he was a servant of God. They knew that. But you know what? Sin can cover that. So you don't see it. You forget reality. It gets covered and layered. Sin causes one to forget. Sin causes one to ignore what is real. Sin causes one to miss the spiritual side. Sin will cause you to forget what you really know. Sin will cause you to forget what you really believe. Somebody wrote, and I couldn't remember who, it was a quote, but it says, and it's a quote, and I don't know who said it. The clutter of carnal deception. And it does, it clutters us, confuses us. Paul got it out in the open. Paul reminded them what was known in the sight of God. You know this. Out there where it can be seen. Show me what your earnestness in. The severe letter brought sorrow. But it also brought them to say, do you not remember? Don't you remember? They had rejected Paul. Paul had already told him, you reject me, you reject Christ. You reject Christ, you reject God. You know what? There's a lot at stake. A lot at stake. Okay, now if you look at it, he says here, it's not for the sake of the offender, nor for the sake of the one offended. It's not for my honor. And it's not to ridicule and be vindictive of the person who did it. I find that fascinating. I find that truly fascinating because we all want to get even with those who falsely accuse us of anything. And you know what? Sometimes God says, no, don't worry about it. It's not a letter worried about his reputation. It's a letter was for the Corinthians to remind them of what their real feelings were like and what that real relationship is. I mean, this is a father in Christ to them. That's amazing. And yet, you think about people who have been around you and had impact on you spiritually. How many times have you cast them to the side? Sometimes you need to. But sometimes they just get cast to the side. And then you start seeing that, you know what, they weren't serving in joy anyway. And you think, well, it was Jim. No, not really. They probably had someone who was stealing their joy. 
letter to the Corinthian was, this is what love is. Do you not remember what love is? Do you not remember? 1 Corinthians 13 covers a multitude of sin. And you guys have got wheelbarrows full. That's what it's doing. That's what Paul's trying to do. He said, you know what? I gave myself. I was devoted to you and I gave myself. I spent myself for you people. Could you love me less? Because, see, that's where that motivation comes from is the love. But sin, carnality, will cover your true spiritual place. You can't see it anymore. Sin makes one selfish. Did you know that? What's in the middle of sin? I. And we don't pay attention to it. We think sin's going to bring us happiness. It never does. Not only that, it breaks your relationships. It stops you from growing spiritually. You focus is the sinful one. You can't grasp what the real is. And that's sad because it happens often. Why? I'm focused on my sin. I want my sin. And you're missing everything that's around you. The people who are around you. Have you ever watched? um, I hope you haven't. But I have been in, in my life. I have watched people who got involved with alcohol and drugs. Okay. That it literally becomes something that is worshipped. Okay, but if you watch them, you can spot what's happening because they start withdrawing. They don't want to be around people. I want to go over here and smoke a doobie or snort a line or drink of this or whatever it is I'm going to do. And they start withdrawing from people. Now, they'll tolerate you. As long as they have a benefit in it, but they'll start pulling back away from people and everybody starts saying, well, what's the matter with them? Well, they're getting stoned. Why? They're more worried about getting their next buzz on than they are anything with human relationships. One of the things that's disturbing about what I see in our community today is uh, the technology stuff. I and mean, people put a set of earphones in and leave the planet. I mean, I'm listening to my music. I'm talking on my phone. I'm just, you know, and I, you know, I don't have to talk to nobody. I can get a little thing here that says I need to go to this street. Tell me how to get there. I don't have to talk to nobody anymore. And I'm sitting there going, well, what's the point? I mean, I got a phone that does things. I don't even know what it does. But I use it to talk on the phone. Okay? And, you know, you know, you can find out where you are. I know where I am. I, I, went, I had to go to Illinois back in the fall. And, and, and so I'm digging around in, in my stuff at the house. And everybody says, well, what are you looking for? And I said, my road atlas. They said, what? I said, yeah, I got a Rand McDowell road atlas. What do you use that for? Tell me where I'm going. Well, but you can do what you... I ain't talking to a little computer thing and it tell me where I'm going. I'm going to look at my road atlas. I'll make my own decisions. Okay? I can look at a road atlas. I got a big one. Okay? I don't have to put my glasses on. Dude, I can't do nothing with my phone without my glasses on. Oh, I can answer it. I don't have to have my glasses on to answer it. But I can look at the road at us. Hey, I'm right here going across I-80. No problem. I'm going to turn 35 north and I'm out of here. 
Well, you can get your, I don't want my phone talking to me. I don't need it telling me that I, and everybody said, well, you're old fashioned. Yeah, I'm an electrician and I know battery life. Okay, when your battery's dead, you ain't got your atlas. Guess what? You lost. I can turn the dome light on in my car and say, I'm still in Illinois. These are the things that, you know, I watch, but we withdraw. We don't want to be involved with people. Now, listen, that's tough for me. I'm a loner. I don't like people. <laughs> Sounds odd, doesn't it? But I have a passion for Christ and him crucified, which means I have to deal with people. I know what it is to be a loner. I don't have a problem with it. I can entertain myself all day long without a conversation with anybody. But the problem is that ain't what God's got me here for. Nor has he got you here for. You need to be involved with other people. There are times in that relationship that sin steps in and selfishness. See, if I stayed in my selfishness, I ain't doing this. I'll phone my message in. Okay? Play a little tape. I know. Tape? What kind of tape? <laughs> I don't These are the kinds of things that I want you to think about because it is easy to be about me. And once you step into that venue, now all of a sudden you're ready for deception. Okay? And let me tell you, you don't think there ain't false out there. You haven't been out because they are everywhere. People can get so deceived that they forget how they really feel about those who have brought them truth. But it isn't a new phenomenon. I mean, if they lost sight of that with the Apostle Paul, then who are we to think that we are more special, that no one would ever break the relationship with us? They can become bitter, hostile toward the very ones that they owe the most to. And even in friendships. Sin breaks the relationship. Can't be fixed because one forgets. I forgot what the relationship originally was. Sin is a deception that takes over and covers the real. Paul needed to expose that, that carnality. Why? Well, I got to expose the carnality so it can be removed. And the only way I can do that is let me remind you of who I am. Let me remind you of what I'm about. Let's get back to the true relationship. I watch a lot of people have superficial relationships. Why? They're never dealing with truth. If you don't deal with biblical truth, you're never, ever going to get more than a shallow relationship. So when the relationship's busted, you don't care. It isn't that big a deal. I've seen this over and over and over again. It's, it's you know, well, we ought to be doing a cookout every month. What will that do? And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you ain't dealing with the deep spiritual truth, how are you going to grow? Well, I guess if you have a cookout, look at there, 10 pounds. But, you, but you're not going to have any depth there. You're not going to understand the love of the saints. You're not going to understand the love of Jesus. You're going to say, wow, this is pretty cool. We're hanging out together. I remember a class that I was in years and years ago. 
they got together every Sunday and watched uh, the Broncos. Okay, every Sunday. You know, that's, after church, everybody's over, and they'd pick a different house every Sunday to go watch the Broncos. And I was a young Christian, and I thought, well, this is really great. All of these people were all going to sit But then all of a sudden, over the years, you see all of these marriages are busted up. You see infidelity here. You see this blow up and this blow up. And you keep thinking, well, we used to watch the Broncos all the time. Oh, wait. You're not really going to get a lot of depth there, are you? See what I mean? Didn't accomplish nothing. The one who is known in the heart... Because, see, when you get to the heart, then you're looking at the honest reflection. The spiritual growth is what makes that relationship okay through thick and thin. Because there's an overwhelming love there that beats self to death. Self doesn't take over anymore. That is our comfort and sorrow. We have a joy because of the loyalty that we have. We have a change because our sin was confronted and brought us to repentance. There is holiness there because now I see what true repentance looks like. But there's also the spiritual growth side of it because of all of this that I've gone through. You get people to know who they are in Christ. They'll remove the carnal. They'll remove the carnal. And that's true. Gosh, that is so true. You don't worry about the application. And everybody says, well, how do I apply this? Don't worry about it. Who's Christ? Once you know who Christ is, you don't have to worry about it no more. Right? Be anxious for nothing. How's that working for you? Apply that. Just go apply that. Be anxious for nothing. Through prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. Go do that. I don't keep you busy all week. But if you know who Christ is, you know what? I don't even have to worry about being anxious for nothing. I know who Christ is. That's what it's about. And you share that with people. Guess what Jesus did today? That will remove the flesh. Those who have left mad. It is because of deception. Okay? It may be their own deception or they were deceived by someone who promised them something. Okay? But that deception allows... The only reason that Christians can fall into that deception is their own sin. Please hear what I... I want to make sure you understood what I said. I don't want you to think that you can be deceived by my sin. Okay? You are deceived by your sin. I I don't take credit for that one. Okay, please understand me on that. When that happens, then someone rolls something down the road and you think it's right in spite of what reality is, then you know you've been deceived. If you've been deceived, then you know that you have sin that you're not dealing with. Okay, listen, brothers and sisters, I'll close with this. This can be in the church, Paul dealing with the Corinthian church. Right? Okay, it can be a fellow saint. Right. Okay. You may have troubles with people who are not saved. That's fine. Okay. But understand they're only going to do what is their nature and their nature is self. All right. It can be your spouse. It can be your kids. It can be your parents. 
when that sin sets in there, then deception sets in. And once that deception sets in, then all of a sudden what was real becomes cluttered. And as it becomes cluttered, you can't see it. You can't see it. Okay? And odds are somebody's going to come up and point it out to you. Probably the one that the relationship is broken. And of course, you'll do this just like anybody else does is in sin. You get mad and an old wet hen. But as soon as you get mad as the old wet hen, then you can realize that they're telling me the truth. Okay? I'd still be mad, but just know that they're telling you the truth. All right? It can happen with your pastor. You don't, I don't like my pastor anymore. I don't like him either. Okay? But here's the deal. I want to come into comfort out of my sorrow. It can be in my family can cause me sorrow. It can be the church that causes me sorrow. It can be fellow saints that cause me sorrow. Co-workers cause me sorrow. Well, I don't have no co-workers. Never mind. Um, these are the things that they're out there. You're human. And you know what? Sometimes when that relationship breaks, they don't even know why? Why? The carnality has covered the reality. And the love is gone. And yet they knew that there was love to start with. What happened? Well, my sin became more important to me than the relationship. You, you watch it with people who are involved in drugs and alcohol and things like that. They withdraw from human contact because they're more concerned about getting the buzz on. The buzz becomes their idol. Okay? And, and I, I wish I could get people to understand that, but whatever. I do not believe in addictions. I do believe in idolatry. And that's what an addiction is, is idolatry. I, and I have seen this before, that someone will go after alcohol over loved ones. And you just sit there and you go, you've got to be kidding me. Or they go after drugs, whatever it is. That buzz, that next buzz is more important than the people I know. Okay? What happens is, is that sin now has taken on and covered it. Okay? And Paul says, I want it to see your earnestness on our behalf. You had it. You had an eagerness for us. Now with my sorrowful letter... It's been exposed and a relationship is restored. Comfort in sorrow. Father, to your glory and praise, thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for drawing us this glorious day to worship in spirit and in truth. Father, I thank you that through these verses here, the heartbreak of the Apostle Paul is mended. And that, Father, you did exceedingly abundantly beyond what he could ever think or imagine. And you restored the unity of the body of Christ in the midst of awful, awful sin. And yet, Father, your grace is sufficient. Father, we who are called by your name, may we understand it as we look at this, we see the person of Christ. And the Father, it was he who restored the relationship between creator and creation. To your praise, to your glory, in Christ and Christ alone. Amen.